Um, I, I want to begin the series this morning, um, Sacred. Before we jump into it, you know, you notice here in, in front of us the cross, and we, we had intended on taking those things down after Easter. They were part of our response time on Easter Sunday, and I, I'd love to tell you we planned it out well enough that the sermon series for the gospel series that we've been in and a better understanding and clarifying the true meaning of the gospel that built up on Easter Sunday with these response stations that we intentionally thought through them and they flowed very well into sacred. They do, but we can't take the credit for that. It just kind of happened. And I wanted you to see, those of you that may have attended the Saturday night service had the privilege of seeing these crosses blank. And then after we went through each of the Easter services, more and more people responded to them. And, and every one of those pieces of paper is a story. It may be the story of a believer who has struggled with sin and once and for all was wanting God to deliver them or set them free. It was a, it was a, it's a story of confession. Clean me up, God, as your child. But a lot of those pieces of paper are the story of people who'd never come to faith in Christ. And they were invited by a friend on Easter weekend. Or they came on Easter because that's when people go to church. And they heard the gospel. And they surrendered their life to Christ. And they're seven days old today in Christ. And so it represents a lot of spiritual infants that nailed their lives to the cross. And then there's the communion table that we still have here and there will be opportunity for prayer. Because we felt like we wanted you to see the story of life change that happened last week. They said, Pastor, do you want us to take these off and make room for more? I said, no, we can just nail over them. I want people to see what God did over last weekend. But we also want them to be available to you today. Both the communion, the prayer time, the place, uh, the prayer of the elders and the crosses because it flows very well into what we're talking about. I don't know if they'll stay up for the entire series or what the, what the future of that is. But we just felt led on our heart to leave them there and they're there for you to respond today and in the next few weeks as the Lord leads. You know, for thousands of years the church has had many spiritual practices that connected people to God and A lot of them were fads that kind of faded away over time, but some of them have remained for two millenniums and have become valued, sacred traditions. Over the next several weeks, I want to jump into some of those that have lasted two millenniums and look into why they lasted, what made them sacred, what made them traditions where others were fads, because some things just don't go out of style. And one of these reasons that many of the things we're going to talk about are still embedded in the heart of Orthodox Christianity is because they were rooted in the Word. They were not cultural. They were rooted in the Word. And when they're rooted in the Word, they don't go out of style. They're not subject to style or opinion or preference. And this morning, I want us to look at the spiritual discipline of confession. And for most of us in this room, confession has never been thought of in our faith journey as a spiritual discipline. The word means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. And when I say the word confession, totally different ideas and mental images come to your mind depending on your church background. For those that grew up in Catholic backgrounds, confession brings to mind the spiritual practice of literally going to confessional, where you go to a literal booth where you either sit or kneel and on the side of that booth is the priest and you confess your sins through a window to the priest on the other side. 
for Anglicans or Lutherans or Episcopalians or other liturgical style churches. They have intentionally included in their, their order of service or their liturgy. They have included in their order of worship confessions. Confessions as a part of their corporate prayer every Sunday. Confessions or prayers of absolution that the priest prays over them as a part of the way to corporately deal with sin in the community. And there's a moment to pause and reflect and solve search privately and and each of those faith traditions when they come to the table and almost every one of those receive communion every Sunday because anchored in the experience of the Eucharist or the Lord's table is the soul searching element of confession and getting right with God. Most evangelical Protestants, which if you were going to classify us, that is one of the tags that you could give to our church is an evangelical Protestant church. Many of us have lost the significance of confession as a part of our ongoing spiritual growth. We understand the need to confess sin as a part of the sinner's prayer when we first come to faith in Christ. But we don't understand how confession is to continue to play a role in our ongoing spiritual development and walk with God. We spent the last three weeks attempting to understand the gospel more clearly. And one of the greatest promises of the gospel is what we called the great but unfair exchange that Paul talked about in 2 Corinthians 5.21. And I hope that that verse is put to memory in your heart by now because it is the gospel in a nutshell. One more time, it says, For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. It is great for us because we get God's righteousness. It is unfair to God because He takes our sin. We give Him our sin which is deeply embedded in a part of who we are, our nature. And we exchange it for His righteousness and He embeds His righteous nature deeply as a part of who we are. It's the one thing that makes among many, it's one of among many things that make the good news good. Is this unfair but great exchange. When we come to a place in our walk where the Holy Spirit draws us into relationship with Christ, we make the exchange, we surrender to the Lordship of Jesus, we give our lives over to God, that all starts on our part with confession. God does His part proveniently, working before we ever have the sense to call on Him, putting people in our lives, drawing us to church, or putting a believer in our path. God's working on it before we're even aware. And then the Holy Spirit brings us to the point of choice. And when we choose to confess our sin and confess Him as Lord, it is confession that begins that relationship, both the confession of sin and the confession of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Paul said in Romans chapter 10 verse number 9, If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. We confess the Lordship of Jesus And we confess our sin in the initial stages of our relationship with God. So you say, okay, pastor, I made Jesus Christ the Lord of my life. I made the great but unfair exchange. Now what? 
Does that mean I will never sin again? Does that mean I will never have to confess sin again? And if you, if you think about confession in the context of most evangelical Protestant churches, you find that the idea of confession as a spiritual discipline almost lends to that. We confessed, we got saved, we never need to deal with it or address the issue of sin in our life again. But according to John, that is not true. Because when John is writing his first epistle, he wrote the gospel, John. But when he's writing his first epistle, 1 John, he is writing to a group of believers. And listen to what he says in 1 John 1. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. Paul addresses that confession plays a part in the beginning of my relationship with Jesus. It is the initial part of inviting Christ into my life. But John goes on to tell us that that confession is a part of my ongoing spiritual growth and my spiritual development. If I say that as a believer that sin is not an issue for me anymore, he said the truth is not in you. He says that that you make God out to be a liar if you say that sin is no longer, you no longer deal with sin in your life as a believer. I mean, what the great exchange promised us in the gospel was forgiveness, not perfection. And, and, And John says that even though I'm a believer, I still deal with sin. And as a believer, and I still deal with sin this is the very first verse I ever memorized I was a little bitty kid I went to a vacation Bible school and the theme all week long was 1 John 1 and 9 if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness that's the King James Version because that's the way I memorized it because when I grew up that was the only version if it was good enough for Paul and Silas it was good, ought to be good enough for us and by the way Paul and Silas didn't use the King James by the way but that was the mindset so um, so all of the scriptures I memorized growing up, they're all King James. And they're easier for me to memorize, actually, because they're poetic. But that was the first verse I memorized. And I understood it in the context of coming to faith in Christ. But when you look at the context of what John is talking about, he's talking to believers making confession a part of their spiritual growth, a part of their spiritual life. It is a discipline as a believer. Sin is what separates us from God. It's, it's what separated Adam and Eve from God. He walked with them, communed with them. There was intimacy every day. Sin came, then there was distance. And God created a way to restore that distance. But just because we have come to faith in Christ does not mean that if we let our hearts grow cold and we let sin begin to find place in our life and we don't deal with that sin, we let it sit there, it will then continue to create distance in our life with God. It is possible to be a follower of Christ, to be a child of God and to be very distant from Him, to be backslidden, to be away from Him, to have your heart grown so cold you can't hear Him, you don't want to pray, you don't get anything out of His Word. I mean, you would call yourself a believer You've had a moment where your life has been impacted by God, but there is distance there because unconfessed sin, unrepented sin that is allowed to remain in our life. We say, you know what? Everybody deals with this. There's no no perfect people. I'm never going to be perfect. And so we, we allow our
ourselves to, to minimize sin in our life. We let it rest in our life because we compare ourselves against other people unknowing that that sin is creating distance and bringing us to a lukewarm spiritual condition. The only way to restore the joy in your relationship with God, the only way to store, restore the closeness or intimacy in your relationship with Christ is through confession of the sin that caused the distance in the first place. We learned over the last several weeks that we will never mature past the gospel. You know, you can preach the gospel, you can preach on the cross, and it doesn't take a long to some hyper-spiritual person comes to you and tell you they really want to go deeper. And there is a lot of deep stuff the Bible talks about, but there is not a more deep topic, there is not a more mature topic to talk about in Christianity besides the cross. I mean, it's as deep as it gets. It's as transformational as it gets. That's why Paul said, I glory in nothing except the cross of Calvary. We must humbly come to the cross to be saved, and we must humbly approach the cross on a regular basis after we're saved to be empowered to walk in purity, to walk in humility, walk in dependency upon God. Someone said this, confession is a means for pursuing purity. Confession is a means for pursuing purity. The great exchange promised forgiveness, not perfection. And Paul recognized that. It's, it, Romans chapter 7 is probably one of the, the most theologically difficult passages, no, no matter where you stand theologically. It is a tough passage to understand. Because you have this, this apostle, this great founder of the faith, that has a really vulnerable moment. And he is talking about his battle with sin. And uh, here's a man who's made the great exchange. God's taken his sin, planted the righteousness of Christ on the inside of Paul. But Paul refers in Romans 7 to this war that is going on inside of him between the sin nature and the, the new Christ nature living on the inside of him. And he's being pulled towards sin and the Spirit of Christ is pulling him heavenward. And there's this war that is raging on the inside of him that he has to deal with every day. Listen to his vulnerability in Romans 7.21. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from the body of this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then, I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. I mean, it is a clear picture of this dichotomy, this war that is going on. I'm a slave to God. I've made that decision in my mind. But while I'm here on earth living in this flesh, there is a war between what I've chosen to do by surrendering to Christ and what the inclinations of my sinful flesh are. And I am waging in that battle. And that war is raging on the inside of every one of us. Because that war is raging, confession is not just an element to get us into relationship with God. Confession is an necessary element of our ongoing walk with God so that we wait in the presence of God long enough, we spend time with Him long enough to allow the Holy Spirit to illuminate the things in our life that are not Christ-like. Whether it's our words or our thoughts, our actions, our deeds, you spend time with God long enough, not comparing yourself to others, but comparing yourself to His holiness, His righteousness, He will begin to make you aware of these things and you can begin to walk in confession. It creates a humility, a brokenness that God responds to. 
I had a college professor in seminary that, that, that made reference in the King James. It says, when Paul says, uh, talks about this wretched body of death that he's in, the King James says, oh, this, he makes a reference to this wretched body of death that he has to carry. And, and, and one of my professors said that in, in Rome at that time, there was a practice of, of, of punishment that when someone committed murder, they would strap a decaying corpse of another human being to the back uh, and sometimes it was the person that they murdered. They would strap it to their back. And it is very probable that in the prisons that Paul continued to find himself in for preaching the gospel, that he saw prisoners who were being punished that way in prison. And when he referred to this wretched body of death that he had to carry, he was referencing that form of punishment. And that old, rotten, decaying body was an illustration of his sin nature. That although he is new in Christ, he has not left this body yet that is element of the sin nature. And he is having to carry that with him everywhere he goes and it is affecting him it is warring on the inside of him it is tempting him away from God sometimes he loses so what do you do in those moments this, this confession made available there's this, uh, this opportunity to come to God and he says who will rescue me from this body of death thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ Paul understood confession brings humility and Jesus responds to that humility with grace and it is the grace of God that will deliver me from this day and ultimately when we get to heaven we'll not carry that body of death any longer we will be perfected into the image of God confession is a spiritual discipline that brings greater awareness of our sinfulness and a greater awareness of the grace of God that can come into our life you can't you can't read the Bible without coming away with this reality God exalts the humble he responds to the broken he comes running to embrace the contrite in, 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 in Matthew chapter 23, verse 12, For those who exalt themselves will be humbled. Those who humble themselves will be exalted. James 4.10 Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will lift you up. 1 Peter 5.6 Humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand and He will lift you up in due time. Those are just a few of the places in the Scripture that reference God's I mean, standing on ready to respond to the humble, but how much he is willing to put away the proud. But notice in every one of these verses, it says, humble yourselves. I can promise you, you nor I want to be humbled by God. That is a painful journey. So the key is humble yourselves. How do you humble yourself? Confession. You humble yourself when you spend enough time in the presence of God to become aware of your own sinfulness. And then you do something with that sinfulness. You take it to God. You deal with it in a relationship with another human being you trust. You, you take it to somebody. You take it to Jesus. You take it to God. And there's this moment of confession that happens because God always responds to the broken. There is not anything we can do to get God's attention in our life, in our church, in our nation, any more than an authentic awareness of our sin and a heartfelt confession before him he says in one of the most well-referenced verses in all of the bible in a moment of national confession of, of repentance you get this idea of how god responds he says in, in, in verse 14 of second chronicles 7 if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways then i will heal from hear from heaven i will forgive their sin and i will heal their land because they are aware of their sin 
They, they are aware of their need for Him. And they humble themselves. They speak it. They repent. They say it in response to that. He comes. His grace infuses healing and forgiveness and restoration. Every revival in the Bible... Every revival, the revival Pastor Bear spoke about, I know some history of that revival, and it started in prayer meetings of corporate repentance in that church. Literally. There, were, there was a banner for repentance. And as the banner for repentance, people began to move away from certain things going to repentance, and out of the brokenness, God responded. You find it in Old Testament moves, in modern revivals. Every personal or corporate revival and biblical revival has been preceded by a season of awareness of personal sin and confession and repentance about that sin because that kind of brokenness and humility over our sinfulness cap the heart of God. Here's the problem. We see ourselves more often as a community of saints and forget that we are also a community of sinners. Richard Foster, who has written a lot on spiritual discipline, says this, Confession is a difficult discipline for us because we all too often view the believing community as a fellowship of saints before we see it as a fellowship of sinners. But if we know that the people of God are first a fellowship of sinners, we are free to hear the unconditional call of God's love and to confess our needs openly before a brother or sister. We know we are not alone in our sin. The fear and pride that cling to us like barnacles cling to others also. We are sinners together. In acts of mutual confession, we release the power that heals. Our humanity is no longer denied, but transformed. When we go through this fake realm of religiosity as if Jesus has made us perfect, and we go through pretending that we are perfect, we deny our humanity. When we own our humanity before God and other people, and we confess it, it is then that our humanity begins the process of transformation. I read a story about um, a man who years ago was a ship builder. He didn't own the company. He worked. He was a believer, a churchman. And uh, he had gone to church most of his life. Uh, he witnessed at work. He shared his faith with his boss. Things had gotten un, uh, unusually difficult in his life. There were things that he never thought he would have to deal with. Money got tight and... They used copper nails to build the ship and he would find himself taking handfuls of the copper nails that at that time were very expensive in order to make ends meet. He was stealing from his boss. And one Sunday morning he went to church and there was a message on confession, repentance. And the Holy Spirit came and the people's hearts were searched to get right before God. And this man, a believer, came up to his pastor and was broken after it was over. And he said, Pastor, I need you to help me. Because this is what I've done. And the pastor said, you need to go to your boss. But you need to be aware that you, when you do, you probably won't have a job. But it is necessary to make things right. The next day, the, the man went before his boss. And he laid it all on the table. And he said, I've shared my faith with you. I'm embarrassed. Um, I, I was afraid to tell you because I, I was afraid you would think I was a hypocrite. And when the boss spoke... He raised his head and said, I always knew you were a hypocrite. He said, but I never believed that there was any merit to your Christian faith. But today that has changed for me. Because a faith that runs deep enough in the heart of man that will make him go against his natural inclinations to lie, cheat, and steal and risk his job to come make something right is worth an investigation.
confession is a powerful statement to God about our own brokenness, humility. It is a powerful statement uh, to the community of faith when we are in a trusting relationship of accountability and we confess some things to others, especially when it's the person we wronged or there was a grievance against. But it also, that type of community and confession makes a strong statement to the authenticity of the Christian faith to the skeptic. Because it's real and legitimate and that is against every element of human nature to do what the shipbuilder did. So it brings up a question because you heard me talk about confession and some of you might have gone immediately to confessing to a brother. But for others of you, the thought of confessing sin to a brother, there's, there's no, I mean, confession is something you do to God. You don't, well, I understand that. Is confession what you do to God or is confession what you do with somebody else? And I'm going to tell you, according to the scripture, it's both. Even in our secular society, there is an understanding of confessing things to psychiatrists, psychologists, and counselors. And, 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 and in those cases, getting things off the chest are helpful. But genuine biblical confession is more than talk therapy. The Scripture says that there is only one mediator between God and man, and that is Christ Jesus, according to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse number 5. So there is no man on this earth that can forgive my sin. There are people that can be the, the representative of God on the earth and explain to me what Jesus has done or God has done for me because of Jesus' mercy and grace in my life, but I can't forgive you. God has to forgive you. We have one mediator. And yet, at the same time, while confession happens to God, the Bible says that there is something powerful that is released in my life. There is something powerful that is released in the community of faith when there are intimate enough, trusting enough, and vulnerable enough relationships where I'm willing to submit myself to another believer, humble myself enough to say, I'm dealing with this sin. Will you help me? James chapter 5 verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. There is something that happens in prayer when there is a genuine awareness of sin, a genuine confession to God, a genuine confession to each other, and then it ends. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. I think it's important that you understand on the heels of confession is a reference to a righteous person because you don't go run out of here and start confessing your sin to the wrong people. You've got to have a righteous person, a person that knows how to keep confidence, a person that is spiritually mature. And those things are built over time. But in the right setting, in the right context, the community of faith offers an amazing environment where supernatural power to flow when we confess our sin to God, especially if we are wronged someone else, then confessing it to that other brother. Or when we are humbling ourselves to invite their prayer that will avail much in our life. Let me clarify what we're not talking about when I say confession. I mean, I grew up and I, I was in the middle of the party scene growing up. And when Jesus changed my life, he changed my values. I made the great exchange. My values changed. And, and so a lot of the kids I used to run with, they went to church every Sunday. But they continued to do the same things that I had done once I really was radically changed by God. And, and I, I called them on it one day. We were sitting talking and, and it was a Friday night and they were about to head out. And I called them on it. I said, how is it that you guys go to church on Sunday and you do this and there's kind of no discrepancy? And, and they said, oh, it's no big deal because we go have this night and we already know we're going to confession after it's over. I said, so you literally plan trips to confession on the heels of getting wasted. 
They said, absolutely. And, and I, I, I just, I thought, you know, they were Catholics. That, that shaped my idea of Catholic theology. And I have since learned that is not Catholic theology. That is a distortion of what a lot of people who profess Catholic theology believe. But that is not Catholic theology. Uh, confession is, is not, Lord, forgive me till the next time. That is, that is even those of us Baptists and Methodists and Pentecostals and Charismatics who understand grace. We've been hard on the Catholics who want to go to their priest and confess their sin to go on so they can get drunk uh, and, and come right. And, then, and, then, and yet we deal with grace such in a sloppy way that it's no different. We treat Jesus the same way they treat their priest. And Paul said in his word, I don't preach a message to you of grace so that you have a license to go on sinning. That's not an excuse to, to go. Um, there's not this amazing promise of confession and God relieving guilt and sin in our life so that now you've got a, you're a child of God and you have a... Le- no, if, if, there was, if there was this, this, uh, this demand made under the law and we have been given this overwhelming, extravagant grace of God to whom much is given, much is required. And if this much was demanded under the law, then this much is demanded under grace. He calls us to purity. He calls us to holiness. Not as legalistic moral codes, but as an offering. A pure life back to Him. The more I spend with Him, the more I'm aware of my need for Him. David, you know, he blew it badly. Committed adultery with a woman and to hide his sin, he committed another one and committed murder and killed her husband, had her husband killed. In Psalm 51, you get this window into the soul of a very broken adulterer and murderer. David got it. He, he, he understood what true confession was. Because he didn't list for God in Psalm 51 all the reasons why he did those things. He listed what was wrong with him. And then he made this statement. Against you and you only have I sinned. God, I'm sorry. Because I broke your heart. It's real different than Judas. Judas betrayed Jesus. And Judas was remorseful after he betrayed Jesus. But the reason Judas was remorseful is because he got caught. Judas was remorseful because of the consequences of his sin. And if the only reason I come to God and ask for forgiveness is because I am saddened over the consequence, my heart's really not broken. When I come to Jesus in repentance and confession because I'm painfully aware of what it's done to me and a whole lot of other people, and I'm painfully aware of how it's broken the heart of God when I can say, create a clean heart in me, Lord. My unforgiveness, my bitterness, my gossip, my addiction, it's not just hurting other people. It's not just hurting me. It's against you. 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 Against you have I sinned. What are the two things Adam and Eve did right after they sinned? They hid and they blamed. They hid because of shame and they blamed because of pride. 
confession addresses the hiding and the blaming. God's grace has given us access into His presence so that we can deal with the shame associated with our sin. So there's no need to hide. And when we truly spend time in His presence, we become aware that it's us and we can't point and finger and Adam can't say Eve did it and Eve can't say the serpent did it. We have to own it. And when in the presence of God, we become aware of how sinful we are and we really own it, pride kind of begins to melt away. So confession addresses the hiding, the pride, the shame, the blaming. And it begins to create this humility in our hearts that invite the grace of God. There's no stronger sin than one that remains hidden. And there's no more impotent sin than the one brought into the open through confession. I am much less confident today in the ministry than I was years ago. And, and I, don't, I, don't want, I'm not, I don't have a low self-esteem. But I am less confident today than I was years ago. 20 years ago when I first started ministry, there wasn't a devil big enough, a mountain high enough, a problem. It was a youthful Ignorance that accompanied it had a pretty significant arrogance. The longer I live, the more I get acquainted with myself. And the more acquainted I get with myself and my walk with God, the more sinful and weak and needy that I realize that I am. And if I'm honest, there's a greater tendency towards sin than I would like there to be. But as I grow less confident in myself, I grow more confident in Him. And it's in that acknowledgement of my weakness and my sinfulness that he responds. Let me read one of the most beautiful passages of Scripture that the psalmist David wrote. And he is speaking now after his confession, after his sin. He's speaking about what happened in his life as a result of confession. Psalm 32.1 Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away. He's talking about when when he tried to hide this from God. My bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover my iniquity and said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. These three stations, and when I say three, one of them, there will be elders that will pray for us in just a moment. The communion table and the cross, each embedded in them is an element of confession. The Bible says in James 5 that we confess one, our faults one to another and we can be healed in prayer among one another. So when we approach the elders for prayer, as James 5 tells us to do, it contains within the promise of that prayer, the element of confession releases that power. And so if, if you want to apply this word through prayer of the elders today, there is a confession element built in to the prayer of the elders. And then communion. Paul said to the Corinthian church, 
Some of you have been approaching the Lord, the sacred table of the Lord in an unworthy manner. You better examine yourself. Let a man examine himself. Let the Holy Spirit search his heart. Make things right with God. Confess them before God and then come. See, we have a lot of Catholics and Anglicans and various people that are starting to come to our church. And one of the things they miss when they come to our church is the opportunity to take communion every Sunday. And for those of us that grew up in this, we don't, what's that? What's the big deal? We do it once a month. But, but to them, their faith tradition taught them that communion was a moment of confession and it was every Sunday it was a way for them to to, to come clean before God and deal with the junk from the last week and they miss it so it's here again a week later for you because coming to the Lord's table if that's the best way for you to deal with it and and come with an awareness of your sin then do it before you approach the table before you take the elements and then the cross is obvious you're a believer dealing with it You keep falling down and getting dirty. And every one of those is somebody. Some of them are believers. But you may be here this morning and you don't know Christ. Confession begins with the Lordship of Christ in your life. Your need for Him to forgive you of your sin. And some of the names on that cross are people's names who did that last weekend. Three places for you to apply the Word of God in your heart. We're going to use the time between services. Pastor Bear is going to sing an an old hymn of the church about the blood of Jesus covering sin and you may approach the elders for prayer you come to the communion table and just take it to your seat or kneel or however you want to respond it's up to you as the spirit of God leads you today I'm going to pray a blessing over you and I'm going to ask if you stand and I want our prayer team to make themselves available and I just we're just going to keep the environment worshipful today Lord, would you, would you grow us up as believers? Would you help us value this overlooked discipline in our lives? Whether we make it a part of our prayer time or whether we write it in a journal or I don't know how it's practically going to look in people's lives, but would you create an awareness in our hearts today and would you by the nudging of the Holy Spirit call men and women into relationship with you through confession call believers into a new sense of God's intimacy and presence through confession will you bless them and keep them Father will you make your face shine down upon them will you be gracious to them and turn your countenance their direction Give them peace today, I pray, in Jesus' name.